Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. So this is New Books in Photography. I'm Lorena Turner, one of the hosts of the channel. I'm a lecturer in the Communication Department at the California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, California, and I'm also a project-based photographer. Today I'll be speaking with photographer and writer John Neal about his book, Focus in Photography, Master the Advanced Techniques That Will Change Your Photography Forever. Focus in Photography is John's second book. His first book, Rethinking Digital Photography was named one of the best of 2011 by the Library Journal and was also selected as one of the top 11 bestsellers of 2011 by Sterling Picks Books. Focus in Photography draws on John's authority as a photography technician and is designed to be a resource to give the reader a comprehensive understanding of optics and what actually happens to light within the camera. Not only did John write the book, but it's illustrated with his own images. John was trained as a fine artist and spent much of his career working at Kodak during the transition from film photography to digital image making. He has a fascinating connection to photography as both an inventor and an artist. And in our discussion, John and I talk about his book as well as his time at Kodak in the late 1980s and 90s when he was tasked with considering new ways in which photography could be used and applied in their consumers' daily lives. I was hired by Kodak after I worked for another company that was owned by Kodak called Light Valve Technology. And uh, Light, Light Valve Technology was uh, early on a digital process. Uh, it was a digital film recorder. Uh, digital film recorders were used back in the day to uh, to record images that had been modified, let's say, in Photoshop or some other program, and then output to uh, a print format. And a lot of uh, professional photographers were using it so that they could get the best prints possible, best images possible, um, sort of what we do today with the output for um, inkjet. Mm-hmm. So um, I worked for them for a couple of years and uh, learned how to use the light valve technology, which was a competition actually to a Kodak product. So um, eventually Kodak brought LVT back into Kodak, and we became uh, Kodak employees. So for a number of years, I was training, going to places and teaching people how to use uh, digital uh, technology, specifically the LVT, but also uh, Photoshop and uh, Macintosh computers, that kind of thing. So I started off um, uh, working uh, within the uh, uh, technological uh, area of Kodak. Actually, I was in an area called Kodak Professional and worked out of a, uh, uh, a, a lab that was set up specifically for um, showing clients, Kodak clients, how to use the equipment. So in some ways, I was a trainer, but um, I had access to all these different toys and whatnot. So uh, I was able to learn a lot about digital technology Early digital technology was very different from what it is today. It was um, very slow. The computers were, were slow. The hard drives were like 40 mega, megabytes wow. at the time. Um, an image size, typical image size would, would have been about a meg. Uh, I tried to push the envelope a bit and tried to push things to maybe you know 20 mega, megabytes. Uh, which meant that I would have to scan a fairly large file. That file took forever to scan back into the uh, computer, uh, or you know, or to uh, or to print or anything else I wanted to do. So uh, it would take me most of a day to get a small one or two or maybe ten megapixel, sorry, mega megabyte file. Uh, we don't even talk about uh, megabytes anymore, hardly. We talk about megapixels and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. But in the early days, it was really about uh, uh, having a little bit of patience 
actually having quite a lot of patients. But we were so excited about what was happening at the time uh, that we uh, we endured. So so I, anyway, I worked I worked for Kodak, and eventually I ended up uh, moving laterally into another position in the design group in Kodak. It was you know, it was a company or sort of part of the company called Corporate Design, and I uh, I ended up learning what I could to uh, to to uh, work within a um, an environment that was a little alien to me because I wasn't trained as a designer. I was trained as a fine art photographer. And, um, but I knew the computer, I knew some programs like Photoshop and a little bit about Illustrator. So I, I kind of created my own position within this design group and ended up working, uh, with engineers that uh, were working on new ideas. So what I did for them was I helped to illustrate, uh, the concepts that they were coming up with. Actually, I should say the concepts that we were coming up with because I had a hand in a lot of the ideas that were uh, presented to uh, marketing and management and that kind of thing. So, um, in fact, I have a number of patents that uh, are around digital imaging. Uh, later on, I hope to talk to a little bit about the uh, things that brought me to that point uh, and what I learned through light valve technology and that sort of thing. When you say that you were kind of illustrating some of the concept, what does that mean exactly? Well, I actually, I, I stepped forward probably just a little bit, but a bit in, in making that statement because uh, while I was in the design, pro, uh, sorry, the design uh, center at Kodak, I uh, I started learning how to use Illustrator and various other uh, pieces of software. Uh, later on, I was assigned to a different department although i was i was still working under design but the new department was called systems concept center and that mm. that area allowed me to work with engineers and other people and we ended up creating a lot of the newer things newer ideas and products and whatnot that kodak came up with um, a lot of what we did was called blue sky uh, blue sky was uh, thinking ahead four or five ten years as to what might be possible. And so it gave us an opportunity to do just about anything. And it didn't, didn't even matter that it was, uh, it, whether or not it was a, uh, had anything to do with pho photography. What, it, what mattered was, is that it was going to have something to do with imaging. And so we, we were allowed to think outside the box in ways that uh, would allow us to maybe come up with ideas for cars uh, for house in home use for um, just about anything. Many of those products are out in the market now. Yeah, a lot of those things uh, were ideas that we had been talking about at Kodak. We, we had actually created patents around and that sort of thing. So, Wow, that's exciting. Know, uh, it was kind of exciting. I mean, it wasn't the kind of work. I'm a fine art photographer, and I think at a different level. And I was working within a, the structure of a corporation and uh, that kind of goes against my grain, you know, and, it, and it, uh, but at the same time, I learned a lot. And the reason why I wanted to mention Kodak and what I was doing was because I wanted to bring that to uh, as sort of the, uh, the reason why my book came about. You have another book that came out before Focus in Photography? Uh, yes, that okay. book was called Rethinking Digital Photography. There we go. And again, I probably need to talk a little bit more about what I was doing at Kodak. The things that I was working on allowed me to use a lot of different kinds of software. And Kodak even sent me off to Rochester Institute of Technology and other places so that I could learn how to do such things as 3D imaging. Um, I was very interested in doing things like with sound. And, you know, uh, I wanted to do things that would be um, useful to people possibly in the future. Uh, that, that actually, if you look around now, you'll see a lot of that technology, touch technology and all of those things were not in play back in, in the t time that it was at Kodak. They were just new ideas that we were working with and or on. Um, MIT and Carnegie Mellon and um, Stanford and a few other places were doing some really interesting, I think they called it the HIT lab out in uh, uh, at Stanford. And 
they were doing some interesting things with technology and we were trying to follow a lot of that. And what that did is it helped us to come up with new ideas and whatnot. So I started thinking about the whole concept of, of experimentation with images. Uh, so I was, I was experimenting with a lot of different, different things and to the point where I was starting to think about patents. Now, the reason I got involved with patents partially was because Kodak used to reward people for coming up with patents. And uh, every time you came up with a patent, you were paid for that patent. Mm. Uh, and that depends on whether it went to an actual product or whether it became just a patent or whether it was just an idea. You would get paid accordingly. So I started, I began to start thinking of a lot of different things. Uh, one of the things that I was interested in was uh, uh, how people were using uh, film cameras versus how people might use digital cameras. And what I found was that film cameras had a lot of possibilities that digital was not able to do. One of them would be to be able to uh, uh, image on a curved surface, uh, that kind of thing. And um, there was a slew of them that I can't remember right this second. So, but it, what it did is I started watching things like Lomography. They were making cameras that were fun. They made you know, multiple lenses. They made, uh, you know, they made cameras that were just interesting to look at. The results were very toy-like sure. in a lot of cases, you know, the Holga later. And uh, I had a long time ago, I had been using Diana cameras when I was in undergraduate school. And, um, so I, I I started playing again with uh, Diana cameras. I started playing with Holgas. I started playing with uh, some of the multi-lenses cameras that uh, Lomography was putting out. I started buying up some of the older cameras uh, like that were done in the 50s and the 60s that were kind of different. Um, the idea was to create ideas around what these cameras were doing and why people were enjoying those kinds of uh, that were that kind of photography. So, so I was allowed to do that. And, um, I kind of wrote my own way through Kodak. Uh, I was allowed to uh, come up with ideas uh, based on my own interests. And, uh, so anyway, so the book, I guess, grew out of my knowledge of a lot of that stuff. Um, and although it doesn't include many of the real far out ideas that we came up with at Kodak, it's, um, it still includes some of the things that I learned during that period. So um, the first book, Rethinking Digital Photography, was uh, uh, really about play. It, it's about the idea of uh, getting uh, involved with photography at a different level, at a, at a sort of a basic level. And uh, so pinhole photography, um, simple cameras, uh, taking more elaborate cameras and doing things with them, and um, doing things like slit photography. I don't know if you know what that is. But I don't. What uh, is that? Uh, slit photography is uh, uh, uses a slit in front of the lens. The mm -hmm. shutter is removed. And um, as the uh, film moves past the slit, it records a whatever is in front of it, but only in a, in a single line. What happens is you pan from one place to another, and the film is pass passing that slit. The Light uh, creates a a strip of image that uh, can be as long as you run it through. It could be a, it could be a movie if you wanted to. There was just one image that that goes you know shows you turning in circles five thousand times. <laughs> mm -hmm. But or it could just be something that um, you could show. For instance, let's say somebody could walk around a, a telephone pole mm -hmm. as you're as you're running the slit vertically. And what happens is, is they look like kind of like a snake going around the, uh, the pole. There's all kinds of different things you can do with that concept. Um, so I started playing with that. Uh, and uh, a lot of it I was doing with video, a lot of it I was doing digitally. Uh, but I wanted to, to try to bring a lot of that film technology into the digital realm. So I began experimenting and playing and then, I, uh, you know, photography has always been a play for me. It hasn't been... I mean, it's serious play, but it it's um, it's more play, it's more en enjoyment than it is work. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I wanted to get that across to my, uh, you know, the, 
the, the people that I was writing the book about are for. That sounds like a fantastic book. You know, it did really well. The um, the book was on the uh, library journals list of best ten best books for the 2011. So it was uh, it did really well. Problem with uh, that book is that uh, the company I was with at the beginning, the first publisher, uh, decided uh, to uh, let's see. I guess they were sold to Barnes and Noble, and then Barnes somebody at Barnes and Noble decided that they weren't going to do any more photo books. So they dropped. Um, all of the books that were photo books at the time. So there's some 40-some authors that were just dropped like <laughs> like a brick. So and we uh, so so that what happened is the book kind of uh, didn't get any more marketing. I mean, although I still continue to do a little bit on my Facebook page and also on my blog, it lost the kind of marketing that a publisher needs to put into a book. But if everybody that has the book loves it. And uh, I put my heart into both books, actually. So they're, uh, you know, I just wanted to open the door to people to play and to experiment. But what I found was that people were shooting pictures and all of the pictures started looking the same. Photography is really about um, being creative, uh, being self-motivated to to make images. There's a word for that, self-expression. The idea to self-express to me is one that, uh, means that you see things your own way and produce images your own way. And uh, that that becomes then you in terms of, uh, of uh, a visual reference of, of uh, who you are. So, so it's, uh, you know, what you choose, what you think about, all of those things should come into play. And what happened what I see happening all over the place is that people tend to go out and they look at the pictures or the tutorials or whatever they find, and they want to duplicate that. That's not really photography to me. I mean, photography is a is seeing the world the way you see the world and seeing the world in a particular way based on your perspective, your uh, what you know, and asking questions because you don't know everything. And it's a, it's a matter of looking and, and thinking, well, that's interesting. And maybe if I take a picture, I can learn something by doing that. You know, the idea of play and, and thinking about what you're doing and being creative, all of that stuff, I think, uh, uh, was important to, to writing a book. Well, let's talk about your, your current book, Focus in Photography. And I wanted to connect it to what you were just talking about or make a connection, I should say, between how about some something that I read in your book and what you were talking about how in relation to how people you see people using photography. But there was one sentence that caught my eye, or one that was maybe a question and a and a and a phrase afterwards. It was about creativity, and I and I wanted to ask you what to you is creativity. Well, I guess first of all, first of all, I think creativity is something that you do. As an artist, at least, you do because you have a sense of uh, the world around you and the materials that you have at your disposal to create something that's kind of unique, that's yours. But also, I think that it's important that the piece of, of uh, work has some message, some meaning, some something to you know, to make people want to look, but also something they can learn from. What is your, you talked, you know, his, about your history in relation to Codex, so your your kind of professional life. What about your creative life? Where, so we're kind of deviating from actually talking about the book right now, which we will get back to, but, okay. but what, yeah. what about your creative work and your development as a fine art photographer? You know, I think when I was younger, I wanted to draw and paint and do that kinds of things, but when you're young, you don't really understand what the purpose. You just like the fact that you can draw. You like the fact that you can paint. I didn't really get into photography until after I was in the service. Um, I went to Vietnam in the uh, I'll, I'll give away my age uh, in the uh, you know late '60s. And uh, um, while I was over there, I picked up a camera in the Philippines and bought a couple of lenses in Hong Kong and Tokyo. And began shooting pictures, and I enjoyed doing it, but I didn't really know much about photography at all. I have some images probably that I took at that point in time that I could 
print than they might be art now. I don't know, but they, you know, they were nice images because I, I, I took my painting skills, my drawing skills, uh, into my, uh, photo photograph ability or my ability to photograph. So does that mean that you became very attuned to things like, like light and shadow and, I think I think more so later, but yeah, mm-hmm. color at the time I was I was using slide film when I was overseas, and uh, but I used photography I guess to get my head out, uh, you know, refocused from what was happening in the war. So and then when I got back, I I wasn't that serious, but I did keep shooting pictures, and uh, it wasn't until I went to university. And uh, I took classes with, uh, I was interested in art, so I went, I wanted to be a painter. And uh, when I was in art school, I took classes in photography and started getting an interest in photography. I was studying under Oscar Bailey, but he was the person who introduced us to people like Rauschenberg and uh, people like Friedlander and Gary Winogrand and those kinds of uh, people. So, and also Betty Hahn. I mean, basically opened the door to everybody. There was Jerry Ullsman and, uh, you know, I want to, you know, I can't go down the list right now, but I, uh, it was, they were all of the people who were doing amazing work back, back in that period. The work is still amazing. Nathan Lyons was somebody he also introduced me to. So, and it was at that point during my uh, undergraduate that I, a few friends and I went to uh, New York City to um, have a look at some of the shows that were there at the time. I think we actually went to a Rauschenberg opening and we went to a couple of other places and ended up actually in Rochester, New York at the Visual Studies Workshop. Uh, now the Visual Studies Workshop back in the 60s and the town of Rochester, the city of Rochester, at that point was sort of the center of the world as far as photography went. Rochester Institute of Technology here, there was Kodak, there was uh, Visual Studies, which uh, Nathan had just started a few years prior. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the Eastman House, which is, uh, you know, back in the day it was called the, the Eastman House. Currently it's called the uh, George Eastman Museum. And uh, so, and back at that, at that point, we were in Rochester at the same time that the SPE uh, meeting was, was uh, happening at the George Eastman House. So there were tons of people here at that period of time. I mean, uh, just about anybody who was anybody photographically at that time was in Rochester for the SPE meter, uh, meeting. Mm-hmm. Now, the SPE meeting is, uh, or the, sorry, the SPE uh, is the Society for Photographic Education, which is a group that Nathan helped to start back in the, the early, late 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know who Nathan Lyons is? I do. Yes. Okay. I, I know yeah. he recently yeah. passed away as well. He did. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually the last few years of uh, before he died, I was working with him and printing a lot of his uh, images. He had started, uh, actually, let me say that he asked me to help him learn digital photography. Uh, Nathan's work prior to that was all black and white oh. and, um, all his books were done in black and white, but he wanted to learn color and he wanted to, and you know, here's the 80 year old man at the time, mm-hmm. uh, who, uh, basically starting off with color and digital. And, uh, so, but he enjoyed it. He, he thought it was great. Um, he was intrigued by the whole process. He couldn't believe how many pictures he was taking when he went really? out shooting. <laughs> <laughs> but he couldn't believe the quality he could get out of an image and the consistency mm-hmm. from one image to the next using something like Lightroom. And uh, so he was uh, he was pretty happy, mm-hmm. you know, before he died. But I was working in his office in his home, and uh, he and I became good friends. And probably a highlight of my life, you know. That's so wonderful. I'm quite happy that, uh, that I could help him. And that he, that he uh, did what he wanted to do right up until the end. So that mm-hmm. was great. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. That's so, really wonderful. Um, did I? But I may have missed your question. No, no, no. I mean, I, I got a good sense of your um, kind of where you came from. You know, kind mm-hmm. of what are some of the I forces that am. influenced you, right? 
And, and, and so, so all the way, I should say all the way through, that's such a weird phrase, but you're, you've, you've, you've consistently been kind of engaged in your fine artwork. I've been, uh, yeah, I've never given up on my artwork. Even when I was a Kodak, I was doing my own work, but also, um, reinforced a little bit by the things I was doing at Kodak, Mm uh, like, like learning 3D photography, sorry, 3D imaging, if you know what I mean by 3D imaging. I'm not talking about stereo, a 3D, like, you know, you, you see things in, with depth, but I'm talking about the, um, the stuff they do with, uh, like with, uh, you know, for the movies, all that stuff where they build characters and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Kodak sent me to school to learn that sort of thing. Um, they bought me uh, some synthesizers so I could play with music. Wow. Um, so I had an office. It was a cubicle, but it was a different kind of cubicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, you know, I had one of those uh, domes over my head so that I could listen to what I was kind oh. of keying away on the uh-huh. keyboard while uh, while everybody else around me was uh, typing on type, you know, a typewriters. <laughs> it doesn't go back that far. But did uh, uh, did you ever did you ever go to RIT and see and see Andrew David Hazy's um, office? Yeah. Yeah. Was it like, oh, was yeah. your was your I know, I know Andrew David Hazy <laughs> and uh, he knows me and uh-huh. we worked together for a while because I taught at RIT for a while. I, and, was your uh, cubicle like his office? <laughs> My current office is like his office, but yeah, my, my cubicle, my managers were always coming by and say, clean this place up. And, uh, but you know, I, I have a book somewhere around here and it's called Imagination's Chamber. And the book is really about, uh, all of these artists and it's a look, it's a photographs of their workplaces and their workplaces were, yeah, everything's piled in the corners. Everything's in chaos, and I find myself that chaos is something I like to work out of, and so I'm, I'm happy in um, that kind of environment. That's very interesting. Very uh, interesting. But, I mean, but unlike some people, I mean, Nathan was, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to say it, but he, he, he had everything in order, and I don't know if he ever appreciated my dislike for order. <laughs> what is it about but, order that 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 um I just doesn't work I, for you I guess creatively. Oh, I just never grew up with order in my life. Yeah. So It's a familiarity so, thing then. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, yeah, it has to do with uh, just that's just who I am, what I do. I mean, you know, I mean, I, we keep the house in good shape, but my office, if I took a picture and sent it to you, you would try to you'd, you'd have trouble finding me wow. in the picture. Wow. Well, I, I I admire that that's a, an environment that that you that you can be creative in. That's that's not my inclination at all. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, but I, it, that's I mean, admirable. That's, I, I I like going out into the world and finding mm. chaos. And somebody not long ago said that what they do with pictures is they take they they go out in the world and they take chaos and they try to make it into uh something they try to make order out of chaos sure and i i thought that was an odd thing to say because i i like chaos for what it is i like to show how chaos works or how how it appears to me you know to me nature is made up of things that fall from trees and they don't necessarily you know stack up in a certain way when they land Mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff, you know. The nature of the world is uh, the world is made up of. To me, it's all about fractals. <laughs> oh. The world is kind of like uh, uh, you know. If you look at how fractals are formed, then you look how uh, cells are formed, or you look how other things are are formed. You start to see a world that is made up of energy and fractals and things like that. And do you uh, think you're you're? I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's all right. I mean, to me, that you might say that's an order, but uh, but it's also chaotic. Right. I think there's order at one level and chaos at another. Yeah. yeah. But my room is definitely chaos. <laughs> and I have a smaller space than I used to have. I used to have a big and very chaotic space where I used to live. But uh, this one is uh, it's comfortable. It's small, but it, you know, it works. 
but everything's stacked up in corners and whatnot. So, wow. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, well, I thought, I thought we could talk a little bit. So kind of returning to your, your book, cause we didn't, we didn't quite make it there yet. I think I'm off on tangents and I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 no apologies necessary. Um, so your so the the your book is specifically about what? And we're not we're talking about the new book. Which your is new focused. book, yes, yeah. your new book focuses on photography. And I need to focus on that, don't I? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> uh, it's really about um, the idea of using all of the things that are available to a user that most people don't understand about lenses and focus about, about looking at the other possibilities besides just getting a sharp picture. So, uh, in that sense, it's really about looking at what depth of field is looking at, uh, how, you know, how do you, how do you use such things as uh, the hyperfocal distance? A lot of people don't understand what those two things are. Uh, many people who don't, who have simple cameras, point and shoot digital cameras, they don't really understand what an aperture is. It's something that, you know, they hear, but they, don't, they you can't even see it because when you look down the lens, you don't even see one mm-hmm. uh, on many cameras. And so, um, so I wanted to talk about that. And certainly on a cell phone, um, the camera is so small that we don't really see the mechanism. And I wanted to, talk about how those things work and what the camera is doing for you when you're using it in, uh, let's say, an automatic mode or whatever, mm-hmm. versus uh, how you would use it if you were to make the settings yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, once people start to learn those things, they start to realize, well, geez, I can have more control over how the image is going to look and what I'm going to include and what I don't want to include as sharp information. Um, and so at first it was a little iffy whether I should do a book just on focus and I wasn't sure that I would have enough material to cover what, uh, you know, that kind of subject. Uh, so, but after thinking about it and looking at, you know, focus is one of the major tools that people have in making a photograph, uh, work. Mm-hmm. So, so I started thinking about all these different things that I learned and all these things that I knew and started putting them together and writing them up. And, uh, uh, I came up with, actually, I came up with a 300 page book, which they had to whittle down to 176 pages. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had quite a bit of material that, uh, and actually I had more images than you'll ever see in the, uh, that I sent to the publishers and they whittled it all down to, uh, I didn't have never counted how many images, but the ones that are actually in the book are far less than what I sent them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's because, um, you know, the, you, you, when you're writing a book, you tend to um, uh, come up with new ideas. You tend to take older ideas and elaborate a little bit more. You tend to do, uh, you know, you throw in new concepts. And uh, so over a period of time, that last book took me, didn't take me that long to really write it, but it took about six years to, to put it and, you know, to finally get it published, printed. Wow. So, um, yeah, that's a a very long process for for something, for something that I think now that I've, I've spent a good deal of time with the book for something that seems like absolutely, um, essential, like, like it feels to me like a book like this should have existed a long time ago. Um, you know, I, I started looking and the, there really aren't books that are strictly about focus right. that I, you know, that, that you'll be able to find. And so that was one of the reasons why at first we thought or I thought that maybe it's not, you know, maybe we need to elaborate, you know, go on, go into other areas within the book. And I think in some ways I have touched on things because mm-hmm. focus is re- related to some of the other concepts that I talked about. Like, like for instance, I talk about uh, panoramas, making panoramas. And it's, you know, it's nowadays it's pretty easy with an iPhone, just sort of scan a scene and you've got a panorama. But what if you wanted to blow that up as big as a wall, you know, and you wanted to control it and you wanted to do other things? Well, there's software out there that allows you to do certain things. There's, <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, there's um, 
you know, there's techniques involved and there's also focus, which has to be at a point where every, you know, when you go from one place to another, you have to make sure that the focus points are right and, and that the overlap is right and various other things. Mm-hmm. So that's just one thing that where we, where I took the book a little bit to, you know, uh, off might, might seem a little off topic, but it's not. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, it sounds very related. As you, yeah. as you say, um, was it a, uh, was this book a hard sell to publishers? Uh, I don't know. Um, I had a really great editor at my first publishing house. Uh, and when they, uh, when Barnes and Noble decided to rid themselves of photographers, <laughs> they, um, she ended up with a company out of, uh, London. Actually, they were in, uh, they were outside of London, south south of London. I can't think of the name of the town right now, but they were down there. And it's, it was a small company called Ilex. Mm-hmm. And they produced a magazine at the time called Photographer's Eye, or might have been called The Photographer's Eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had asked me if I would mind doing a small article they were going to do electronically. In fact, the magazine is just electronic. And so um, I said, sure, and ended up doing something on TTV. Uh, did you, do you know what TTV photography is? No, I don't. Okay. Well, for TT photography, which I talked about in the first book, is um, where you take a camera. You actually need two cameras, one camera to shoot through the viewfinder of another camera. And the results are actually pretty interesting. Uh, the, uh, you know, you would think, well, geez, it's going to be kind of blurry. It's going to be this, it's going to be that. But what happens is, is that you've got a, an effect that is very interesting, kind of like a Diana look, kind of like a Holga look, kind of like, uh, you know, whatever. But, uh, so I did a, uh, and what you do usually is you make a device and the device is usually camera number one, which is going to be the viewfinder. And camera number two is the taking camera. And you put put them in such a position, hold them in such a position that you're shooting one, uh, shooting a picture of the viewfinder of the uh, first camera. Well, the first camera. So I, you know, well, I, I had so while we were talking, I had to look up TTV photography, which stands for through the viewfinder, of course. Exactly. Yep. And it's amazing how much it, the, the quality of the image and whether that these may be filtered. I haven't spent a lot of time, of course, investigating. Well, I mean, you can always do that. I mean, I, I have a tendency to take everything into Photoshop and kind of rework it a little bit, you know? So, uh, but that's just because I'm a digital photographer, but I spent years and years and years as a, uh, as a film photographer and I still have film cameras and I still like shooting film. I just don't have a dark room at the moment. Uh, although Nathan has offered, oh, sorry, he offered his uh, darkroom to me while I was working with him, and uh, I never got a chance to actually do that. Um, Joan, his wife, uh, said that I can use it anytime, but uh, you know, I feel funny. Are you um, are you working on another book right now? What is it, what's occupying your creative they, life right now? I'm I'm looking at another book. I I don't want to give it away yet, but um, yeah, that, that seems like. Seems like that's my thing now is just writing books. And uh, um, they they like the ideas that I've got. But what they do in publishing houses is they'll run a book to see how well it does before they give you another one. So it's uh, it's it's it's, uh, you know, it's a waiting game. But I, I think that soon I'll probably pick up another book, maybe two. I've got three or four ideas on the, the, the that are waiting. But what I, the, the area that I really want to work with is photo books, like, you know, my art work. So I want to, I want to do that. But again, that's uh, it's time consuming and also uh, costs money to produce uh, a book. And uh, both of those things are, you know, hard, to, hard to come by. But, it, you know, I've probably got about six or seven different photo books that uh, I've kind of run through uh, in design. So they're all kind of laid out, ready to go. I just don't have the money right at the moment to uh, to do a production. You're talking thousands of dollars worth of uh, printing, and then the marketing and all of that kind of stuff that goes with it. I'm not a marketer, so really, you know, when I started, you know, you just made images, and right. 
lucky to maybe show here or show there, which I've been lucky enough to have a few shows. Um, but, you know, teaching was the way to make uh, a living. So for a number of years, I worked as an adjunct. And if you've ever done adjunct work, adjunct work, then you realize that, uh, you know, it's probably not going to be something you're going to do the rest of your life. And so I ended up at Kodak because I needed to make a living. By the way, I don't know if you know that this weekend is Worldwide Pinhole Photography Day. And it happens on uh, Sunday. And it happens every year. And, uh, you know, a good chunk of what you see on there is just what you would expect to see from a pinhole camera. But what I've been trying to do is to get people to use information that they may find online or in my books to be more creative with what they do with pinhole photography. So in the first book, what I did was I introduced ideas around using paint programs to to make pinhole images more interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the hardcore pinholers would probably balk at me even saying that. But I like to take things a little further and try to try to work uh, with things in my own way. What will you do on Worldwide Pinhole Photography Day? Uh, well, I make I usually make a poster every year. I've been doing it for about 15 years. And I, I do it because it gets me back into the basics. Uh, but most of what I do is digital and, again, pinhole, real pinholers, as they call themselves. And they um, tend to uh, balk at anything that's not straight pinhole photography. But I, I use uh, various pinhole-related devices um i use um i use pinholes but i also use something called a zone plate and i also use something called a zone sieve or sieve it's uh, basically um, a series of holes uh, they're about the same size as a pinhole but they actually because they're of the way they're produced they they can actually focus and so you end up with a, a piece of film basically that has these uh, holes uh, let's say an opaque piece of film that has these tiny holes that uh, kind of look like, um, uh, you know, circles uh, made of dots. And, uh, but that's where the light goes through. And as the light goes through those edges, it bends down to a focal point. And what happens then is you, uh, you end up with a picture that's kind of hazy, in some ways kind of pinholy, but also has a focus. And they're very interesting. So I talk about that in my book. Mm-hmm. And that's something, say, on this Sunday World Pinhole Photography Day. Will you will you uh, be working with that and making an image that way? Uh, that's uh, something I do every year. So you know, there's it's it's a little a little thing. You're only allowed to put one image up, but uh, you know what's interesting is you get all these people from countries you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if Donald Trump did it, he'd probably have a good time. <laughs> There's your, there's your one Trump reference <laughs> in the most unlikely of places. Yeah. Talking about he's a bit of a, he's a bit of a pinhead, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So, uh-huh. But that's the other name we call ourselves is pinheads. I so. see. I see. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a little tidbit. Where, but, can, um, where can people find your book, Focus in Photography, if they wanted to purchase it? Um, well, I talk about it. A fair amount on my blog, which is www.lensgarden, one word, dot com. And uh, there's also, a, I think on the first page, there's a couple of uh, menu items for, for both books. And under there, I talk a little bit about them. I, there's a list of uh, comments that I've had about the books and also the links that you can use to get to the book site. So the book sales like Great. on Amazon and whatnot. Great. So um, you could start selling them for me. No, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing my, I'm doing my part by talking with I you know. right now. Oh, you're doing a great thing. You're studying, that's what this is about. I right. Know. Exactly. I appreciate exactly. it. But you can cut that out. I will. <laughs> um, well, uh, I'm sorry. I, 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 I was going to say something. The, What's that? I, I missed a whole slew of things that I wanted to talk about, but maybe we can you know, we can uh, we can do it if you want, or we can stop here. Um, do you, sure. If you want to, you want to talk. Go ahead. 
you can continue because I have I have the time and you have the time too. So Yeah, we both have the time and you have the means to record uh, and disperse and edit. And mm-hmm. and edit. That's one I was heading for. Mm-hmm. So but you know, I think one of the things that I was doing I, when um, I lived in Canada for about twenty years, and I belonged to a group up there called the Toronto Photographers Workshop, and I was teaching at a place called Sheridan College, and I taught some other things. And uh, uh, but I also uh, wanted to go to grad school. I feel, felt like the only thing that I could do to really advance myself properly was to go and get a master's degree. And uh, so I, there was really nothing available in Canada at that particular time. So I ended up saying, okay, I'm going to go back to the visual studies workshop, which I visited back in the, you know, seventies. And I decided that um, I wanted to go back to work under Nathan. And I was lucky enough to actually get to do that. And so I went back to the visual studies. I moved here in 1989 and uh, started working on my master's degree. And uh, I think it was one of the better things that I've done in my life because uh, even though the thing about the workshop is that you learn from scratch. I mean, a lot of the things you it was because you took the initiative to learn it. That um, that if I, you were interested in, let's say, digital, you would go and learn digital. Or if you wanted to, to spend your whole time there doing uh, 11 by 14 camera images or something, you could do that. But the other thing it did is it opened me up to thinking about visual imaging, not necessarily always about photography, but thinking in terms of um, books and uh, other ways like video and um, you know graphic arts and whatnot as 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 a form of medium, but also uh, it allowed you to think differently about what you were producing, mm-hmm. and uh, so it opened the doors to a lot of a lot of things. I had already been introduced to actually while I was going to visual studies, I was also working at, at LVT, and uh, so I was starting to learn about the technology. And during that time, I, uh, uh, I I decided I was going to do my thesis uh, doing digital photography. And I think I have credit for being the first student, grad student of digital studies to have a, um, a completely digital uh, thesis. And um, I had a show at the workshop. I had my thesis talk, um, a show at Rochester Institute of Technology. Uh, at the same time, uh, both of them were considered part of my thesis. And um, I don't know if you know who Roger Burton was. I don't. But he I was don't. also mm-hmm. some of those people that I was introduced to back in the day. But he was a photographer. He's passed away since. But uh, he was my thesis advisor. And uh, John Wood was another person that I worked with at the at Visual Studies. Visual Studies, especially under Nathan, um, I got a chance to uh, learn quite a bit about the history and uh, the people that were involved with photography at that time. And to me, I, there's a distinction between people who are photographing flowers and that kind of thing and then people who are interested in photography the way I think you and I are. What was your thesis on? Thesis was uh, landscape. And I was, uh, one of the things about the work, the, um, sorry, about living in Rochester is that uh, at the time, especially, there were a lot of uh, places that you could go to look at work. And uh, so the Eastman House was one of the places that I would see work. And I was really inspired by some of the things that were happening uh, by Civil War photographers and photographers of the American West during, uh, especially up in the uh, in the uh, Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the things that I got to do with uh, uh, was was work on a uh, project with um, Frank Golke and uh, a couple of other photographers at, uh, with, for a show called the uh, what did they call it? It was something about the Northwest. Uh, but it was about the timber industry and about uh, deforestation and. Um, I, I was really impressed with uh, a guy by the name of Darius Hines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you know who that is, but I do. Um, the early um, photographer of uh, 
force the, the uh, deforestation. Uh, well, kind of de- deforestation, in that they, uh, you know, they he photographed people removing, sawing down the great big uh, trees in the, the northwest, that kind of thing. And then Frank Goldstein's work was about uh, Mount Saint Helens yeah. and about the devastation caused by you know the natural occurring devastation. Yeah. That was an interesting show, and uh, so I got to do that kind of thing. Anyway, I had a lot, a lot of great experience. My work, my thesis work, to get back to that, mm-hmm. was, uh, was a landscape, but more on a modern, more modern uh, version. And um, I was doing mostly black and white, but I was I was uh, shooting it on uh, shooting black and white, mostly Type fifty five film, the the Polaroid film. Mm-hmm. That was that was probably my favorite film of all time, and. Uh, what I was shooting were panoramas where I'd have two or three images side by side that represented a panorama. They weren't, they weren't physically connected like you would do it today, but they were, uh, they were set apart. And a lot of that came out of work that I saw from, um, I think it was, might've been Gardner, one of the artifacts from, and, but large prints. So I did large prints, but I printed them on color paper. And what was interesting to me was that again, it had a lot to do with my playing. Um, it had to do with um, uh, creating images that were uh, together, but then also separated by a slight difference in color. So one print would have a bluish cast, one print would have a pinkish cast, one print would have a yellow cast, but it worked. Uh, so I would do things like take the landscape and I would wrap it around a wall so that you know, be you know, have an image on one side, and then it'll continue on the next wall, and then maybe continue on the next wall. So it would uh, it'd be one landscape, but seen from different perspectives, I guess, within the gallery. John, thank you so much for talking with me. That was really a real pleasure. I, I wish I, I honestly, I wish I had more time to talk because you have such a very a long and varied story, and I really I learned a lot from this conversation. So oh, I really good. appreciate it. That was John Neal and I discussing his new book, Focus in Photography, Master the Advanced Techniques That Will Change Your Photography Forever, which was published by Ilex Press. In the next episode of New Books in Photography, I'll talk with photographer and anthropologist Liliana Caruana about her book, Rebels, Punks and Skinheads of New York's East Village. New Books in Photography podcasts are hosted remotely by me, Lorena Turner, and also edited by me. If you have a new book of photography or a photography-related book coming out and would like to talk with me about your book for about an hour, please send me a message through the New Books in Photography Facebook page. This goes for monographs, theoretical texts, as well as books on the history of photography. 